1: This is the Ben Burnett Show, the only show in America that features a one-term has-been retired politician that nobody knows on Extra 106.3. Welcome into the Ben Burnett Show. Happy Father's Day weekend to all you dads. I'm one of them. Got three beautiful babies at home. Happy Father's Day to my dad, retired United States Marine, Major Whit Burnett. Guy drug us across the country a couple of times. Every time he got a new duty station, we wound up taking the 30 days to go see the four corners of the earth. And let me tell you, if you've never done it, it's an enormous country. I hated every second of it at the time. When I look back on the best days of my life now, I think about him taking us to Zion National Park and the Grand Canyon, the Joshua Tree, and everywhere in between, Yellowstone. I bet I'd been to Yellowstone a half dozen times by the time I was 20. Settled in settled in Georgia when he was getting out, so we could be close. To parents, happy Father's Day to all of you. Best part about it, teaching your kids how to read, how to tie their shoes, coaching the sports leagues. I love all those things. I already missed the spring soccer season. If you if you, if you've never taken the time to get to know me, my name is Ben Burnett. For four years, I sat on the city council in Alpharetta, Georgia. The guys at the podcast park with Dicky Broadcasting Company asked me if I'd bring my my podcast over. I just used to interview people. All or, from all around North Fulton or Cherokee County and Forsyth County, people that had grown the things that you know and love, the places that you visit, the businesses that they have, the elected officials in office. Had a really good opportunity with Appod Media. And then I left elected office. I called Tug Cowart, the number one guy on the morning show with Extra 106.3 in the morning extra. Had him in to talk about being a longtime DJ. I don't even know if they call him DJ anymore over at the country station and then sitting on extra 106.3. He said, hey, man, would you ever want to bring your podcast over here? Guys, I grew up listening to the Braves. You tell me 6'8", the fans interested in anything to do with me at all, I come running. I was actually, when you listened to the 98 Braves by Morgan Wallen, I actually was at one of the games where the damn Padres beat the Braves. I've still got the foul ball sitting in my parents' house. A lot of interesting things in the workplace. You know, the start of 2023, one of the things you heard about was ChatGPT. I'm still convinced that only about 3 or 4% of you had heard about it. It is the underpinnings of the first mainstream artificial intelligence tool that anyone can use. When I set an elected office, I was the only elected official that I knew that had worked in technology. You think about what the number one industry is to the United States economy. It's around tech. It's got its own listing on the it's got its own listing in the stock exchange, the NASDAQ. It's all tech-centric. Nothing else. Everything else more or less sits in the, in the Dow Jones. But the tech companies, most of those are found on the NASDAQ. Honestly, it's a huge growing sector. And it's a vital sector to the United States economy. And in Congress or your General Assembly or your local school board or your local county commission, it's woefully underrepresented. I don't take anything away from any of those guys. I don't. Most of the people that I know from public service are genuinely good people who want to do the idealistic right thing. Now, they may get in and they may get to be part of the machine, or the country club, as we call it, but most of them go with really good intentions. Most are small business owners, lawyers, things like that. But guess what they don't know anything about? Technology. Anything, anytime anything came up technology related, I always got looked at because I was this alleged expert in, in elected official status. And let me tell you what. I don't know a whole lot. And I knew a thousand times more than they did. And technology scares me to death. Chat GPT is fascinating. You have the ability to take anything. I can insert one of my podcasts into Chat GPT, and it can spit out a summary of my interview that's entirely based in a machine. It can decipher my voice. It can decipher my guest voice. And it has the ability to write a review with any author that you could ever choose. Mitch Album. Greg Bluestein, Michael Crichton, dead or alive, doesn't matter. It can write the summary with whatever writing tendencies that you want it to have. It's an unbelievable tool, but it's also incredibly dangerous. And the United States government has got to take the lead with our European partners for one reason. We have to set the standard and the benchmark of what we are going to allow it to do and what is going to be hands-off. And I say that for a couple of reasons. There are a lot of people who are going to get forced out of industries that they have worked in forever. You see the carriers subsidized by the federal government and your state government running tens of thousands of miles of fiber every single year all over the country. That fiber by itself just provides internet access. But guess what the internet access also does? It provides the machines with the proximity to deliver goods and services faster and potentially autonomously. Three years ago, there was a guy who ran for president under the Democrat ticket named Andrew Yang. You remember him. He was the universal basic income guy, and we all said he was crazy because he wanted to give universal basic income out to everybody. And I totally disagreed with that. Everything else that came out of that guy's mouth with respect to technology is 100% true. And people looked at him like he was insane. You look at ChatGPT. You look at the artificial intelligence that he talked about from a debate stage. And many of you looked at him like he had seven heads. And I didn't blame you. I didn't. Because I knew. When you shop on Amazon and you want to buy corn or you want to buy a baseball glove or you want to buy a dress, it also suggests things to you that you are likely to buy if you bought any of those things. If you bought a glove, you might be interested in baseballs. Well, Sure. That's basic algorithms, but guess what else it does? It keeps up with your search history. It keeps up with the things you buy when you buy them and positions them to you when the next season or the next year or the next beach trip rolls around. All of these things work together. Have you ever used your credit card when you went out of town years ago? You would travel out of town and you go and you would go swipe your credit card and it was declined today. When you book, it's almost like Delta communicates with American Express to tell you where you're, when you're going to be somewhere. That's because they do. And that's because all of the things that you enable on your phone have a predictive ability to tell you when you're going to be somewhere, what you're going to do, what your likely route is going to be, and it's incredibly scary. And there's nothing that the federal government has done about it ever since. It, it is truly the Wild West. I do think that several things need to be reined in. I think that we have to set the standard for a million reasons. About 15 years ago, you remember the 23andMe app? Do you remember several years ago when everybody spit in a cup and 23andMe and Ancestry.com and we all found out where our dead relatives in East Tennessee were so we could go on the graveyard tour together? I do. Guess what you, guess what you didn't know when you spit in that cup? Ancestry.com and 23andMe are both backed by Chinese banks and private equity money. And guess what the Chinese banks wanted with the People's Republic of China? They wanted your genomic sequencing so that they could match what you do with where you live, with your genes, and they could find all sorts of things about you. What are you likely to study next? What are your offspring going to be like? And I had no choice in the fact when my dad chose to do that. They know absolutely everything about me. And if you go match that against all the things in the public record, they can find somebody on my mom's side of the family who spit in the cup, and they can figure out exactly what my sequencing is. Guys, I've never spit in one of those cups. I'm the tinfoil hat guy who thinks that everybody's out to get you. In a million years, I would never do that. But that decision was already made for me, and they didn't know any better. And by the time we all realized what was going on, it was too late, too bad. As technology grows, I already told you, I can put one of my podcasts in ChatGPT. To be honest with you, I can put my podcast in a dozen apps right now, and it can create a new podcast with me with somebody else's voice. Guess what else we can do? We can take a podcast that I have, and we can put Morgan Wallen and Morgan Freeman in in place of me and my guests. And the AI can make it sound like Morgan Freeman is interviewing Morgan Wallen. Two guys who I am relatively certain have never met each other. And they can do it in whatever style I tell them to do with the machine learning. Machine learning and quantum computing is one of the big fights that's going to take place. And it's not going to be a partisan fight. Do I think that Republicans and Democrats want to have greater creative control over it? Absolutely. But guess what? It's all laughable. Everybody patted each other on the back earlier this year when, state, when the state government and county and local governments were told by legal statute that they couldn't have TikTok on their phones anymore. Guys, what I think is truly hilarious is the fact that legislators, who over time I continue to just have less and less respect for from an intelligence standpoint, thought that they were actually doing something of consequence. There isn't a snowball's chance in hell that the fact that you kept TikTok off state-owned devices is going to make a difference because TikTok's one thing TikTok, CapCut, WeChat, any of those things, they're either owned by Tencent or they are owned by ByteDance. Both of those are Chinese holding companies. But guess what the state guess what the state legislators in their infinite wisdom didn't think about? You can download a third-party VPN onto your taxpayer-funded cell phone, get the app on there, potentially Potentially, get the app on there, and then hide it. You could still access it. And I'm not sitting here saying that anybody has bad intentions. I'm saying they didn't fix a problem. They ran straight to the highlight reel and didn't solve a damn thing because rarely when it comes to things like that, does that ha- actually happen. Like I told you, most of the people that you see serving in state and local governments, state, local, and federal governments, they're lawyers, or doctors, or small business owners, or insurance agents. One of the things, one of the things I would a 1,000% tell all of you to do, if you work in technology and you are interested in local government at all, they need you. And if you can take a job or you, can, or you, feel, or you feel like you want to sit in public service, you ought to do it. Because there are conversations from the bottom. If you are smart and you work in technology, I promise you, those other, those other elected officials at all different levels of government are going to ask you more questions than you could possibly fathom because they ultimately want to make good decisions. That's the truth. Most people who run for office, at least initially, have super idealistic tendencies, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, want to make a difference, don't necessarily want to be somebody. And look, plenty of things change when they get there. They're all a, it's all just one big giant country club. It doesn't matter if you're a local government bureaucrat or it doesn't matter if you're a local city council member. Half of them just want to be somebody. But for the handful of you that don't, who actually want to drive forward thinking conversation with, with respect to technology, I am telling you, you ought to jump on in. The water is fine. This is Extra 1063, Atlanta's all-conservative talk station, This is the Ben Burnett Show on Extra 106.3. Welcome into the Ben Burnett Show. My guest today is the president and CEO of First Horizon Bank, Brian Jordan.
2: I'm doing well, Ben. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely, man. It's an honor and a privilege. Appreciate you guys are great partners with 680 The Fan and Extra 106.3 and my show. And how did you grow up?
2: Yeah, I... I grew up in, in Salisbury, North Carolina. I actually relayed this story yesterday. I have a brother and I at 11 and 12 years old with a paper route. I grew up with a, a very close and strong family. My brother, my sister, uh, my dad is still alive. And and I grew up in a family that, that valued learning the lessons of, of work. We, we learned business by running a, a newspaper business from buying the papers on a weekly basis and collecting from our customers on a a 30-day cycle. They're really required that you get it right every single day.
1: When when your undergraduate education in business and accounting, was that the end of the school train for you or did you go back and get some advanced degrees before you got into banking?
2: No, I didn't get any advanced degrees. That was the end of of my uh, formal education. I am a a recovering CPA. I've, I've spent seven years in the public county space and I would tell you that was as big a part of my education as anything that I learned in school.
1: We have talked to a great extent over time about your time in Atlanta. You talk about growing a career, what the opportunities that you looked for. Talk about your own personal experience and then talk about 2023 and what you do today.
2: I think in, in the back of my mind I was more predestined to be a banker than I ever understood. I I might have told you it was accidental. I grew up in a banking household. My father, who's who's still alive, i talked to him quite often, and he he and I spent a lot of time when I was in college, and I did a lot of part-time jobs for him while he was running a, a banking organization there in the middle of North Carolina. Uh, from the bottoms up, from picking up trash in the parking lot to taking care of shredding documents in the back room. I think when I got into public accounting, it was somewhat accidental. I spent probably three, three and a half years working on the, the first union engagement, and that's where I really got to learn an awful lot about the, the banking business. After my third or fourth year, I moved to Atlanta, and I had to, and I had – I can't remember two to three years of leading the Home Depot engagement. Folks in Atlanta clearly know the Home Depot story and how tremendous that is. Still shapes how I think about banking and, and our organization. Really put me in a position to learn banking from the bottoms up and relate that to to my finance uh, training and background. And, and I, I would attribute that as much as anything what I'm doing today, I was just fortunate that I got to see a lot of the organization. I was able to apply it at at Regents in Birmingham and then come here and and play a role.
1: What was it like in 2007 and 2008 knowing and seeing the early indicators of the Great Recession and knowing that there was going to be tons of money pumped out?
2: The timing was very interesting. We had spent most of uh, the back half of 2007-2008 restructuring our balance sheet at First Horizon. I was the CFO at the time. We got out of a national mortgage business. During that period, we had raised $690 million of capital, I believe it was. What we thought was a very stable business. It was reorganized. We knew it was going to be choppy, I became CEO on September the 1st of 2008. I think it was September the 7th when Fannie and Freddie failed. Then you had AIG, uh, Lehman Brothers. You had uh, Washington Mutual Countrywide. And you, you go on down the list, Wachovia was part of all of that. And really started to see the fragility of the financial system in in that period.
1: Brian resides in Memphis, Tennessee. If there is a city in this country that I do not live in that I pull for, it's there. CEOs of AutoZone or First Horizon or International Paper, really, really large companies. But how they treat the economy in Memphis is different than how your CEO of Coca-Cola or Delta Airlines Profile and a great—it's—it's it's honestly like a sense of greater good that everybody that has a headquarters in Memphis is one extremely proud of it, and two they know that it's a city that has had immense challenges for decades.
2: Yeah, thank, thank you for that. As, as people will glean from what I described and a little bit of background I gave, I've—I've I've lived in quite a few places across the South, and, and my wife and I. And our children would, would say that, that we're Memphians. This is a, a, a unique city that, that I have tremendous love and respect for. It, it is, as you said, a city that has had its series of challenges and, you know, most notably a significant inflection point with the assassination of Dr. King here in the late 60s. City, the city is a, a very connected city. A number of our significant leaders, like Pitt Hyde, who founded AutoZone, Fred Smith, who founded FedEx, and and 20 or 30 other CEOs really got together to, to create an organization where we can really try to play an active role in partnering with the community, partnering with government, partnering with the state of Tennessee, to, to make sure that business is aligned with creating a, a much stronger social, much stronger economic fabric for the entire community. What is sort of the underpinning of all of that is is that these organizations that, that have the, the luxury of doing business here in Memphis also recognize that it is not good enough just to be a successful business if the social fabric, economic fabric of your community is weak. A lot of work has been done. We're making tremendous progress, for example, in the education system. We're seeing significant progress. Focus on advertising, the the, the, the heart and soul of, of Memphis. And so you're seeing entertainment. You're seeing one of the, the best basketball teams in the NBA with the Memphis is attracting a lot of young people you're seeing a revitalization of downtown people moving back into the inner city and, and really creating a, a tremendous and
1: economic forever. So, and to that point, if you ever want to just stop by Brian's office, the conference room sits on the top floor of one of the highest buildings that overlooks the Mississippi River, and you could watch it for hours. It's fascinating. And it's and it's and as big as you think it is, it's bigger. I want to give you credit for one thing, and I stole it from you, and I said this. I, I came looking at a business opportunity in Memphis. When I walked in the room, you had all the CEOs from all the giant companies You know, it was the Chamber of Commerce. It was people like yourself. It was people from AutoZone and FedEx and like companies that need no introduction. And I stole that from you. And when I sat in elected office, if you were a giant corporation looking at bringing jobs, I literally stole the entire playbook. And if you came (laughs) to visit us, and I had a gentleman who is now the president at the University of Memphis who came to visit and we were looking at doing something for kids in Fulton County schools about getting Auburn to offer children in Fulton County schools four or five hundred dollars a class for anybody who went to the Fulton to Fulton County schools in the school system. And he sat down at lunch and he said, I have heard of every business that is sitting here today. And I had the Metro Atlanta Chamber of Commerce and I had people from huge companies. Bill Hargrave is his name, who was the provost at Auburn at the time, is now the president at the University of Memphis. So I pull for him, too. I hope you have to, have had time to connect.
2: The imitation is the greatest form of flattery, they say. So I, I think that's great, and I think every community ought to do that. Those, that, that institution is is vital to our success because of the, the young people that it attracts, It educates, and a lot of those young people stay here in the community.
1: But in recent memory, you guys signed a letter of intent several years ago with TD Bank based in Canada. They, and they were going to acquire you and that set in regulatory and things that I'm sure, you know, far better than anybody who is listening to this show. We saw two months ago, Silicon Valley bank and first Republic kind of go under well-known banks that service specific industries in this country. And some weeks later, TD is going to terminate their deal with First Horizon Bank. They're going to pay you $200 million to go away. You guys are giving $50 million of that termination fee into the communities that you serve. How it comes about that a bank gets interested in acquiring you and talk about the level of detail that you have to provide and how painful that entire process may be, even if it's the right thing.
2: It's definitely all public information. We we put a proxy out last year before our shareholder meeting. First Horizon has has been literally headquartered within three blocks of where I'm sitting right now, Ben, since eighteen sixty four. Eighteen sixty four. Abraham Lincoln was president <laughs> when we were founded. We've been through a tremendous amount, the yellow fever epidemic and financial panics of the early 1900s, World War I, the Great Depression, World War II, a number of conflicts. So we've seen a a, a lot of of the arc of history. And we take great pride in serving our customers and communities, not only here in Memphis, but across our footprint. We have a presence led by a great team in, in Atlanta, Metro Atlanta, for example. And we were not for sale. So we went through a process with TV. They they presented a, an offer that we thought was extraordinarily compelling for our shareholders. Our shareholders overwhelmingly approved that. But there is always a regulatory approval process. You noted in, in early May, roughly a month or so ago from the time we're talking today, we announced that due to issues that really were unrelated to first-rise and it was uncertain when we could get clarity about regulatory approval and that we terminated the merger agreement. In fact, after 14 months, that has a certain amount of of impact and difficulty to work through. But The one thing we did that paid great dividends on the front end is we, we made two commitments that we were going to deliver a better bank than TD negotiated for, so we kept working very, very hard, that we were going to pay attention to the fact that until regulatory approval was granted, we were going to assume that there was always the risk that it wouldn't be. So we kept running hard and, and our folks continued to build the business. We, we hired over a thousand people over the course of the last year a, a lot of work to keep the momentum high in the business, and that showed in our first quarter results. When we, we worked through the termination, we announced it publicly. Our people continue to do what they've done for the last 159 years, which is to take care of customers, take care of communities, continue to look to, to, to bring our skill set, our partnership approach to doing business with our customers, and, and grow the business. We, we did allocate $50 million of that termination fee. We wanted to put it in our foundation. Our First Horizon Foundation has been around since the early 90s. We gave some $20 million or $20 million plus last year out of our foundation. We wanted to, to make sure that, that our customers and our communities, most importantly, knew that we were gonna continue to do what we have been doing for the last 30 plus years with our foundation and what we've done for the last 159 years, which is to give back. A statistic that I'm really proud of, it amazes me every time I see it. Across our 12 state footprint, our associates gave back over 24,000 hours in 2022 for working on a community board and, and I will promise you Ben that number is understated because we don't track every hour and I would tell you I'm I'm probably the, the first among senators because I don't track a single hour when I do something in the community
1: so I want to ask you I, I reference Jamie Dimon on the show a lot and anytime that guy's mentions your name or mentions your brand it it, it 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 holds weight he's the CEO of the largest bank in the country anytime the Senate has a A banking conversation, I think they just subpoena him because they all want to meet him. You have seen him really be the elder statesman to defend and look out for mid-sized banks, especially in the last two or three months. And I know you can't speak for him, but it seems like there is a cohesion in the industry right now when you get to a certain size that you guys, although you compete for business, I think he has done a tremendous job of saying these banks are so necessary to this economy. We will not be a great country without them. Talk about what it means when you hear guys like that sit there and talk about the good parts of your business and what it means, and and what it means holistically moving forward for the industry, especially knowing there's a mountain of scrutiny in it
2: right now. I I have tremendous respect too for Jamie and, and, I've seen visit with him from time to time, and in my experience with Jamie is, is he is extraordinarily thoughtful about the the entire uh, ecosystem of the country, and you see that in his annual letters and you see it in what he says, and, and the other thing I take away from my conversations with him is he's very direct and he says what he means, and I find that very refreshing. I I do believe that that he is right when he talks about this is a a complex economy. It is a complex economic system that we have in the U.S. Not to get too far into the weeds, but if you go into a lot of of other economies, Canada is an example, Europe, a lot of Europe, you have very concentrated banking. The U.S. banking system is very diversified. And disaggregated and we have something like 4500 to 4700 banks across the United States and and I firmly believe that banks of all size play a significant role in meeting the needs of, of this very complex economy if, if you're starting up a business you know next week and and you want to, to be in a position to start with two or three trucks and you you've got a business plan and you know whatever it entails you know having somebody in the community who can service that need is is very very important and it, it creates sort of a virtuous cycle and and i think if you look at the statistics they they pretty well paint a picture that the the credit needs of main street of america is met by a very broad cross-section of the banking system and I think that's one of the real strengths of, of our economy in the US and if, if we can complain about what the economy is doing at any given point in time but it is the best economy in the world it is the world's reserve currency and we have something really special so I, I do believe based on everything that I see whether it's a Jamie Dimon or a Brian Moynihan or others, I think they really do see the importance of having this broad, diversified banking system that we have in the U.S.
1: When you look down the field from 2024 to 2030, do you think all the consolidation is done with the mid-sized banks in the near term and the distress as you look out, you know, absent – Absent your bank, it's well documented that you guys have, have a super clean balance sheet and have since you were the CFO. But as you look at the industry as a whole, what? how do you think things are going to change? Do you think that some of the regulation around it from the federal government needs to loosen a little bit, or do you think that it's just going to change depending on power structure, strategy, internal banking strategy from the top, guys like you and guys like Jamie? I'm very I
2: think- We're going to see further consolidation in the banking system. And I think that's a byproduct of two things. One, it is we're likely, as a result of the cycle that we've referenced in the last few months, see tighter or more regulation. And that's not by necessity a bad thing, but it is by definition more costly. And so scale impacts your ability to deal with with enhanced or deeper regulation. And the second is is that the cost of technology continues to escalate. The cycle times on replacing technology come faster and faster. I'll use the example of an online mobile banking system. If the system costs you $5 million to replace it, technology needs say so you have to replace it every three years, then, that that system's going to cost five million every three years. It doesn't matter whether you have the system doesn't care whether you have five thousand customers on it or five million customers. It's still going to cost five million. But scale and the technology and the regulation, I think, is going to continue to drive consolidation. I don't think it is a environment where we're going to consolidate down to five or six banks. I think, and we get to twenty twenty nine. I would bet you my bottom dollar that you're still going to have a very robust community banking infrastructure in the U.S. You're going to have a mid-sized regional banking infrastructure. You're going to have some very large banks, in my view, are required to service the world's largest companies and and leading economy. And so I think we're going to have a a, a very diverse and disaggregated system. Will we have 4,700 banks? I doubt that. Will we have somewhere between, I'd, I'd say my number in 2029, plus or minus 2,500 banks in the United States, which if you do the math on 50 states, it's still, what, 50 or so per state. So you, you, you've you still got a very granular and disaggregated system that I think will be very responsive to our complex economy.
1: Do you want to go ahead and roll it out there that you guys are about to invest just mountains of resources in the city of Atlanta?
2: Yeah, you know, Atlanta is an area of, of focus for us. We have, if my memory serves me right, about nine banking centers in Atlanta today. I mentioned we have a really good, strong team there, and we want to build around it. And as you can imagine, in the course of the last year, as we were under and working under a merger agreement, we were not able to, to expand our branch footprint. Uh, that is behind us, and we'll be in a position to, to look for opportunities to grow in places like Atlanta, uh, throughout Florida, uh, north and east Texas. We, we've got some great footprint markets and some opportunities. And as I was talking to a grouper, we really do see that, that our retail and commercial banking system is the, the really the, the root of a lot of what we do and the strength of our organization, and we're going to continue to invest in
1: it. Well, I want, to get, I want to pay you a compliment, and I'll let you go. Brian is the CEO of a publicly traded multi-billion dollar bank. If I email him or I call him, he, he always calls me back. So when you think you're too busy, Brian is not. I always appreciate that about you, and honestly, I've taken that for my own life.
0: So, Robert, I want to thank you for your time. I just don't think you're the right person for this position.
2: I don't understand. Was it something I said?
0: Well, we did a background check on you and found some things of concern.
1: If you're in charge of hiring for your company, you know how helpful a background screening can be. That's why companies that use Horizon Background Screening make smarter hiring decisions. Don't let the wrong hire put your company at risk. Get the real story on your candidates at horizonscreening.com. horizonscreening.com. This is The Ben Burnett Show on Extra 106.3. Welcome back to The Ben Burnett Show. I want to thank Brian Jordan, the CEO of First Horizon Bank, for making me a part of his day. I want to thank you for making me a part of your day. You can catch me on the podcast park on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays, I do long-form interviews. Thursdays, I do my thought in one take where I take an issue of the week. I unpack it. It's usually relevant to current events. I make it makes sense to your life in about five minutes, so you can go to lunch, or if somebody asks you about it, you have a basis of knowledge. I think banking is interesting. When we looked at the debt ceiling fight a couple weeks ago, that really wasn't. It was kind of a foregone conclusion they were always going to pass something. You're not going to let the United States federal government default on its debt if there's anything you can do about it. Do I think they spend too much money? You bet. But it's also had a tremendous impact on your regional and your mid-sized banks. That's what Brian went through. If you like that interview, you can catch the whole thing at the podcast park from a couple weeks ago. He talks about his career, how he grew up, what hard work looks like, how you get into education, how you grow a career so that you can eventually become the CEO of a publicly traded bank with thousands of employees. makes a huge difference in Georgia. As his career continues to propel forward, I think sooner or later we all have losses. That loss that he Took with respect to the TD merger. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. There's no doubt that there's going to be consolidation in the banking industry, but what's that ultimately going to look like? He talks about where it is today and where he thinks it eventually ends and how there's going to be less players in the marketplace, but he firmly thinks that his company has a seat at the table as one of them. Mergers, mergers and acquisitions are really, really funny business, especially when you get into the regulation of the U.S. federal government. I really don't know why that TD, First Horizon merger, didn't roll through. I don't know why it took – why does it take 14 months to get to a place where the larger bank is like, you know what, we think you guys are awesome, but dealing with your government is no longer worth it? Or was it the economic cycles? I think that eventually pulls out in a couple of years, but it's great to hear him talk about Jamie Dimon. Regardless of how you feel about his politics, the man makes tens of millions of dollars. I think last year he made almost $40 million dollars. Talk about CEO pay. You know, I have no issue. I think Jamie Dimon is a great elder statesman for banking, even though I disagree with him on climate change and DEI and inclusivity. The one thing you'll understand when you listen to my show, I'm not really an absolutist about a whole lot. I think there's a ton of value in having all of you. I do, because I'm not going to be the guy who trots out the best ideas. I talk in radio segments. Once I sat in elected office, that was the one thing I realized. Everybody has intrinsic value. And I think Jamie Dimon is no exception to that. One of the conversations that we have a lot on the right is social media utilization. I want to be perfectly clear. I do not care for Mark Zuckerberg. I do not care for Facebook. I love Instagram where you can follow me at The Ben Burnett Show. I've been a 15-year user of Twitter Twitter, to me, is a news aggregator. That's where I go to find the sources that I like or the people that I think a lot of around athletics, around political service in the state of Georgia, around news. follow the Wall Street Journal. I read almost everything they put out every single day. But I let Twitter do the vetting process for me, and I think Elon Musk deserves a mountain of credit. You you looked about a year ago when he started launching the Twitter files, and he saw that the left was suppressing stories and narratives that they because it fit a certain agenda, and he wanted to get rid of that. Brings me to a conversation that I want to have about the First Amendment. I hate Facebook. I said it earlier. I think the fact that Facebook controls so much of the political messaging is sad, but I think that's also where the country is. When I ran for elected office in 2017, it was the Wild West. I could put anything out there when I was running for office, and then some years later... You had to go through a vetting process. You had to provide Secretary of State data information because if you were going to boost a post or send it out into people that aren't necessarily your followers, they wanted to make sure that you were who you said you were. I had no problem with that. But as I've transitioned into this life where I have a lot of people on in the conservative movement, I've noticed something. Every other week, I have a conservative on my show. And every other week, Facebook tells me that I have violated the community and behavioral guidelines. Guys, if you've listened to me at all, I'm about as mild-mannered a Republican as you are going to find. Plenty conservative, but if you disagree with me, you're not my enemy. That's not who I am, and that's not what we do here. Never will. I can talk to you with efficacy without calling you names. I can talk to you without telling you that your idea is the, the worst thing I've ever heard. I believe in meritocracy. I can beat you with my arguments because they're founded in principle. Facebook has no efficacy. If you are on the left and you trot a narrative out there, they will push it for you. It's more likely to trend. It's more likely to get in front of the eyeballs. And I have huge issues with the fact that that doesn't cut both ways. But I want to say something on the other side of that coin. I don't really use Facebook for that very reason. I do it because plenty of you are there, but I know that it's bought and paid for. By the left, you look at who puts money into Facebook. I roll my eyes every time I hear the Soros-backed initiatives. That is what it is. The other thing I want you to know, you get to vote with your feet every single day. If you use Facebook and you're mad at how they do things, then shame on you because you don't have to use it. And if you want Facebook to treat conservatives the same way as they treat liberals, quit using it. It's that easy. I had the same problem with Twitter. It never stopped me from using it, but again, I could aggregate my own news feed. But I think what Elon Musk has done is really open up what he would call the town square, where anybody, everybody who's anybody who has an idea can say something. And I appreciate the fact that Twitter goes behind people in public service when they trot out something that isn't true and say, this is actually the bill. This is what passed. This is what it's going to mean to your life. And here's a news source that supports it. And I think that has been missing for so long. And the left absolutely hates it. I don't necessarily blame the left for hating it, but I want you to know one thing. Elon Musk, he's not a conservative. They have vilified him because he refuses to move left with them. A couple of weeks ago, Elon Musk was on real time with Bill Maher, and they had a 21-minute interview. And he didn't say a whole lot, but he and Bill Maher both agreed that the world has moved so far to the left that it makes them look conservative. Elon Musk is is the chief climate change activist in the world. He launched a car company that utilizes batteries because he hates fossil fuel. He's not absent of the fact that fossil fuels still serve a purpose, but he's put his money and his resources where it counts. He's also the CEO of Starlink, an Internet service provider that's going to use space exploration. Plenty of that's coming around. Is it cost prohibitive if you live in a place of means where you can have actual fiber in the ground? Yes. If you're you're in Metro Atlanta, you're probably not using Starlink. But I'm supportive of that. The guy is a problem solver. Elon has been a huge reason why the people in Ukraine and plenty of the people in Russia have Internet access at all. He puts those satellites where people don't do it, and he's not charging for it right now. I appreciate the idealism of who he is, even though our politics don't align. But if you vote with your feet, quit getting on Facebook. Quit looking to them to tell you what your opinion is because they're not going to do a good job because they're not supposed to. When you look at the special interest money that backs each of those entities, it is so obviously brokered to left-leaning Democrats, and it's all over the world. America is the greatest place in the entire world. If you even look at the libel laws of England, they don't have free speech. If you go to France, you can't even acknowledge that the Holocaust isn't real. Clearly, I think the Holocaust is real. That, to me, is a matter of free speech. If you dig up enough evidence to say that it was fake, I don't care what your opinion is. And I think that you should be able to say whatever you want to say. But I also think that privately held companies should be able to run those entities exactly like they want to. And if I disagree with it, I get to use my rights as an American to not use them. You can catch The Ben Burnett Show on Tuesday and Thursday at the Podcast Park, Saturday at noon, Sunday at 1. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm a hypocrite at the Ben Burnett show where I cast reels. You can always follow me on Twitter at Ben Burnett Monday through Friday from six to 10. You can listen to the morning extra noon to three. You can listen to Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. It's been another episode of the Ben Burnett show. Hope you guys have a great day. We'll see you soon.
0: Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil An at home dinner date is plating up possibility and it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation, like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable, mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.
1: The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1, smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen.